behavior bitches. Hey guys, it's Liat and Casey, and we are here with episode 50 freaking six. Casey, what rhyme do you have for us today? All right, so following on the lines of keeping it, trying to rhyme with our guest names like 54 Jim Moore, we have episode 56, Kalina up in the mix. Yeah, I like that one. That was a good one. I like that. Love it. It's almost like I made it up or something. (laughs) (laughs) You are funny. All right, guys. So episode 56, we keep going. My voice is getting progressively worse. I know that. Um, Actually, Casey's going to be gone all next week. And I am honestly going to try shut up in between the time of the two collectives we have during the week because my voice is actually getting to a concerning level. Anyways, before we get started, you guys know where to find us. You can find us on Instagram at Behavior Bitches Podcast, Facebook at Behavior Bitches Podcast, or on our website at behaviorbitches.com. And if you really love us, and even if you don't really love us, if you kind of love us, go ahead and leave us a five-star review in the Apple Podcast app. We live for those, and that is what gives us the first content of our shows each show. We got to tell you guys what nice things you've said to us. So, Casey, can you start us off with the review of the day? Dun, dun, dun. Yes. I'm going a little bit off um, our typical Apple review today. I just felt it was um, a really important review that will remain anonymous um, just because it does share some personal information. But girl, if you hear it, we love you and we support you and you can send me a message on Instagram letting me know that you heard us read it. All right. So it was about, okay, so your Monday podcast, Debt Free, hit home to me. Oh, that rhymes. (laughs) I am so much like Casey. I think it's a good thing. However, shit, I was saving my money and not paying my credit card balance either. FML. Yeah, I paid the balance yesterday morning and man, it feels good. But I have the same fear as Casey. I grew up with parents who worked, but we struggled a lot as a family. Abusive, druggy, alcoholic father. Girl, me too. So my mom, sister, and I were constantly packing our bags and staying with my aunt. So it's a legit fear, and I just always want to create, um, have a cushion in case something ever happens. But when Liat was explaining it all, I was just like, damn, she is so right. So thank you both. I truly adore both of you and love your podcast. Keep doing what you are doing. Have a great weekend, ladies. Thank you so much, because when I got that message, I was like, we were a little bit nervous to do that episode, just of like, oh, who is this girl being like, I paid off my debt? It's like, it's not like I have some crazy... Um, job where I make a lot of money or I, you know, I had a cushion because of the fear of never having money growing up. Um, but so it ain't a cushion when it's negative. You know what I mean? That's yeah, no girl. cushion. It ain't a cushion when you owe the government. Um, so in a bunch of credit cards, I uh, actually, I just got my first payment, uh, first thing in the mail from this loan that I had talked about on that episode from First Mark Services. I'm reading it right now. I Shout owed- out to First Mark Services. <laughs> Except <Hashtag> no. Ad. <laughs> First Mark Services, I was sponsoring this because I paid off my loan. Um, no, it was just a, a first piece of paper. I've been oh, I've owed this fifteen thousand dollar private loan at a high interest rate since I was twenty one years old, and I will be thirty three tomorrow. So, good lord, that's a long time. I never ever made any dent into the principal, but anyways, I paid it off. I got the letter in the mail that says you have paid in full, and I'm gonna hang it on my fridge, and I'm so excited. Can I tell you the most lame thing ever? Sorry, peanut butter and jelly, if you're listening, <laughs> get over it. Um, just kidding. Love you, PB&J, if you still listen. Obviously, you like us because you're still listening. Anyways, okay. So when I paid my loans off last year, that was like the first thing I was when, – when I did that, I was so excited to see what it would do to my credit. It dropped my credit score because I no longer had reoccurring payments. And I'm like, effing seriously – um, credit card companies get with it. If you guys need some behavioral consulting, I will give you guys actually not a good price because you guys fucked me with interest long enough. Um, I'll let you guys know how to make it more reinforcing for people to pay off. Anyways, that is a great review. Thank you. Um, Casey, proud of you. Yes, money that you owe. Um, and even if you have money saved, it's not money you have because you will be paying extra. So this is someone who needs that prompt. Go pay your loan now something towards it if you can. Um, It actually makes you richer by taking more money out of your savings to pay these things off. Okay, without further ado, 
I'm super excited for today's podcast. We have an amazing guest um, on multiple levels. First of all, because we're talking about something super interesting to me, but also we have someone, and I'll let Casey do the full intro, uh, was our student, had no doubt she was going to pass the test when she was in it. She really dug deep into our Study Notes ABA program, and this guest today, before she even started Study Notes ABA, she sent me a message. Maybe she'll have the exact message to read to me. Um, it was like, Liad, I just want you to know one day I'm going to work with you. I'm going to be working for you, working with you, whatever it is, just so you know. She hadn't even started the program yet. Um, and sure enough, she's working with us. You could find her. Okay, I'll stop there, Casey. I'm taking away your whole <laughs> stick. So, Casey, why don't you go ahead and make <laughs> I'm the like, introduction? Go ahead, girl. All right, guys. Guest. So today's guest, I'm sure a lot of our listeners, if you've been through our program, if you're currently studying and listening, you have probably seen this girl teach ethics like a bad mother effa. Um, she is so incredibly smart. Um, she has now become a, a, a SNABA tutor, which we're so excited. We're making it official on the 1st of July on the website, um, along with some other badass tutors too. But her name is Karina Valdez. She is a BCBA in El Paso, Texas, a former Study Notes ABA student turned bestie, turned tutor, turned the best She's just great. We love her Turns, so much. She just gets shit done. It's really cool. Oh, to see. In, the se- in the second, we'll be like, can you write an outline for today's podcast? Done in like 10 minutes with like every behavior concept you could think of. I'm like, I don't understand how her brain works. But this is why. Her undergrad, right? She went, got her bachelor's degree at UTEP. Um, and shout out UTEP if anyone's listening. This bitch is getting her uh, doctorate degree and she wants to be a teacher there. So you need to have her because she is the best teacher in the world. Um, so like Liat said, she told us from the beginning that she'd be working with Snaba and that shit did come true. Put it out to the universe, which is why we just put that out to the universe. Um, not surprising, Karina, like I said, is pursuing her doctorate um, in psychology with a specialization in ABA. Um, this chick has BDE. Guys, that's big dick energy if you haven't listened to the podcast before. She is from Chihuahua. I probably said that wrong. Mexico, and we're going to talk about behaviors behind <laughs> the drug cartel, which Leah is super interested. She texted Karina the other day and said, do you watch Queen of the South? Like, we need to do a podcast on this. Guys, I have not watched it, nor do I know much, but that's why we brought Karina on um, to share a little bit. Karina used to more. be in the cartel, so this is real. Just kidding. <laughs> um, She's not an expert, but she is a badass BCBA who knows how to, like we say, take concepts and relate them to behavioral principles. So without further ado, Karina, welcome to the show. Hola, muchachas del comportamiento. ¿Cómo oh, les va? Ah, this is awkward. We forgot to tell you she doesn't speak English. <laughs> oh, ¿qué pasó? ¿No era en español? Oh, no. Uh, es a problema. Sí, es Mucho muy problema. Grande, muy grande. Yeah. Uh, yo hablas un poco español. Muy bien. ¿Y mm. cómo te va el día de hoy, Casey? Ah, you lost me. Uh, tomorrow's <laughs> my birthday. Can you say happy birthday to me? <laughs> Feliz cumpleaños, Casey. Que te la pases genial. Gracias. I'll be translating the whole show, guys. Um, we're really excited. Bienviendo. Uh, thank you so much for coming. Did I say that wrong? Just okay. We're just sounding dumb. We're <laughs> we're, we're done. Okay. Um, I'm much better at English. But so today we are going to be doing our best. Again, this is kind of like a hostage negotiation uh, podcast, being that we are not experts. Um, and no, Karina was not in the Mexican drug cartel. Um, I don't think she'd be here talking with us about it if she was. And so. I have, I mean, first of all, anything about drugs, um, drugs, prison, crime, I'm really into. And so I reached out to Karina because I also started watching the show Queen of the South. And it's just so fascinating to me, all the different uh, behavioral concepts we could talk about with um, the cartel, drug trafficking, all these different items. So before we go any further, I'm going to tell you the behavioral concepts we are going to cover on today's episode. And there's a lot more, but I'm just going to list some and we'll roll with it. We have adaptation, generalized conditioned reinforcers, motivating operations, both unconditioned and conditioned matching law, extinction versus selectionism, history of reinforcement, rule governed versus contingency shaped behavior, 
risk benefits analysis, shaping, ratio strain, pre-MAC principle. Why don't you just go to the back of your Cooper book and look at the entire index because we probably will be covering it. All right. So there we go. We have lots of things we're covering. Karina, thank you so much for coming. Yeah, of course. Thank you so much for having me, guys. I'm like, fangirling. I've been like a fan since day one. I'm going to definitely oh, post up the message that I sent to Leah. I literally sent it in September, started the collective in November. Like I was already obsessed. I was like, I, you don't know me yet, but you will be my best friend. And now here we are like eight months later and hanging out and stuff. So that's pretty cool. Can you uh, send us the picture so we could put it on the behavior bitches um, Instagram? Yeah, of course. For sure. For sure. I will. And so I, I want you to first, Karina, like give us a little background, like where you're from, how you came to El Paso, what was, you know, your growing up like, like how you became you a you ABA. ABA. Yeah. Everything. So, Awesome, girl. So I was born, like you said, in Ciudad Juarez, Chihuahua, Mexico. So that is right at the border. And it's a border city with El Paso, Texas. So born and raised there, I have family from Sinaloa. So this is like cartel city, right? Uh, my dad was born in Badiraguato, Sinaloa. And he is actually like down the street from El Chapo's mom. Fun fact. But uh so growing up in Juarez, I had a very like huge role model. And that was my mom. She's the one that taught me like, hey, we're not going to come to our factor or like our environment, right? We're going to rise. We're going to work. We're going to thrive. So that really motivated me. Um, she met my stepdad when I was eight years old. And then I immigrated legally, y'all, to the United <laughs> States. <laughs> um so I uh, studied here. I grew up here. I actually found ABA by accident. It was like finals week in my undergrad. And I went to uh, take a final and my friend's like, hey, I have uh, somebody that's hiring and it's something psychology based. I interviewed, fell in love, got applied or like got hired. Then I started my uh, master's to continue. Like immediately I knew I wanted to move forward with this career. I know that the impact that it makes is huge and I have an advantage, right? So I have a border city. I have two different cultures that are colliding and we really need to educate. In the entire country of Mexico, there's only four BCBAs. So we need to increase those numbers. Wow. We want to make sure that there's dissemination that there's education and that's why i want to like that's my big goal so utep if you're listening hit me up y'all um i started my phd so i can teach and like hopefully start off an aba program at utep and then who knows right i can work with universities in mexico and just keep growing that education out there you're so that. amazing <laughs> and i see you like i I have goosebumps already, you guys. It just started the episode because I see Karina and I've seen her grow from the second we first met her in the collective to see her pass her boards, to see her motivation. The way she teaches is so inspiring. Um, we have had her teach multiple specialty classes and um, I've seen her tutor and it's just, she's gold. She really is. She just has this passion that you, you can't, you know, it's just you can't compare it. It's beautiful. And so we're so happy to have her as part of the SNAVA team. Thank you. That means a lot to me, guys. Love and then it. can I give you a little bit more information about Please. Like... Okay. So first and foremost, I am not part of the cartel. I do not. It's weird for me to say it in English. So I'm going to like just speak Spanish words in Spanish. It's cartel, guys. Okay. So I am not part of the cartel. I do not have family members in the cartel and I will not give you in details. Right. But I did grow up in a city that was at some point labeled the murder capital of the world. So I, when I was very young, I experienced the violence, the turf war that was going on between the Sinaloa cartel, the Culiacan cartel, and they're developing, they're growing and all of that. And all because I lived in a border city, right? Ciudad Juarez has a really big area that is the border of the United States. And in Mexico, yes, drugs are valuable and people do consume drugs. However, in the United States, the drug prices are three times higher so you're obviously going to sell where you get more reinforcement, right? Talk about matching law. 
you're mm -hmm. definitely going to go and take your product where you're going to reap the higher benefit. So we went through a lot of that turf war. I saw people that were hanged off of bridges. I saw people be like purposely run over. I was at one point chased down by a narco truck thinking that I was somebody else. I had to like fling my hair off of the window to prove that I'm a female and not going to hurt them. And I was nine years old. Right. So this is something that has always been part of my life. Wait, you saw someone hanging? Mm hmm. Yes. Uh, it was actually uh, one of my cousin's birthday party. We had had like a family day out in the park. And when the violence was really high, I like I said, it was a normal thing. We would find like body parts out in the corner and then the coroner would be called. And sometimes it would be hours before the body was picked up. Um, so that time uh, there was people trying to cover the body, but it was hanging in the middle of a very large intersection. And that's where I first saw like my first real encounter with violence, right? It was as much as my mom tried to like, oh, look the other way, I feel smell. Like that wasn't helpful. I definitely had that curiosity. And that's why I slowly became like really used to seeing the violence. I went through some adaptation, right? continuous exposure to the same stimuli, it's going to decrease my response. I no longer freaked out. If anything, I was like a little curious, like, oh, what did they do this time? So uh, that's kind of where I grew up. That's where I, I thought it was really cool when you reached out to me to talk about this, because it's like on a personal level, if that makes sense. It absolutely wow. makes sense. I mean, that's things that like, I've never seen or Liat's never seen or we've never lived in Mexico. I mean, I went there for spring break. Like that's my, you know, <laughs> I think it's not, a different part. <laughs> yeah. Like that's not a, a re reflection on Mexico when you're in a friggin' resort with like bodyguards. Like that's not, that's not it at all. So bringing on someone who has lived that, had that experience, um, gone through some of that, you know, history is why this is such a great podcast to have you on. And you did an amazing outline um, you did all the work for us. So, so let's get, thank you. Yeah. So again, she's not an expert. We're not experts clearly, but we want to break down. We love breaking down real shit with behavior principles, guys. You know, that's us. That's your girls over here. So all right. let's talk about first, because I think the best thing to talk about in general is when we're looking at any situation is that background info establishing those MOs, motivating operations. You know, we the one thing we do know as behaviorists, rule number one, is that no shit happens out of nowhere. There's lawfulness of behavior and determinism. Someone doesn't just wake up one day and be like, ah, oh, good idea. I'm going to start putting myself in a war ground and pulling body parts um, and killing people and hanging them from bridges. So can we just go a little bit into... Um, maybe some of those or the background information of potentially how people who eventually get involved in the cartel, um, you know, what they grow up in, what they see, what, it, what, what's that background information? Yeah, of course. So this is something that I definitely think is very important because it starts shaping our behavior, right? So before we do get into those environmental factors, I want us to get into the mentality of I'm getting all this information from when I was a kid. This is a child who is eight to like 11 years old, and this is everything that's going on around, right? Now, Mexico is really and truly like a little funnel. So all the drug that comes up from Colombia, from Chile, from Santiago, Venezuela, right? It is funneled through Mexico, and this is the easiest way to import drugs into the United States. So the United States being the biggest uh, consumers of drugs have that high demand, right? So this is why Mexico is such a crucial part in the drug cartel business. They need access to the port of entry, right? There's like Chapo built literally freaking tunnels that went across the border. And mind you, these are like cemented tunnels where you could like drive a little golf cart across with all your cargo. Okay, so you have to think about the fact that in Mexico, this is a third world country. So yes, the United States, we see obviously some financial strains and we always run into those problems. However, to put it a little bit into perspective, the monthly income that a family in Mexico receives is equivalent to approximately 344 US dollars. 
a month. Now, a month. So yearly, that would be about $4,000. Oh, God. Yep. So imagine living in a world where, again, there are very limited education resources. Now, I'm not saying people in Mexico are uneducated. However, to get an education, you have to have money. You have to have resources. If you do not, you do not get access to an education, right? So, again, we're living in a country where there is high poverty, there is low access to help from the government, and then we start seeing a lot of political change. So I'm not going to go crazy into the politics of Mexico, but I think it's very important for us to know. So in 2006, the president Felipe Calderon became the president and he literally like 10 days into office, he's like, all right, guys, balls out. I'm declaring a war on all cartels. Like we're going heavy. This is what's going to happen. So he tried to militarize uh, the cities and really hammer down on cartel and illegal actions or crime and everything that was happening. Now, we did see a decrease in violence and in drug smuggling in 2007. But then right after that beautiful little intervention that he implemented, we have that extinction burst. Mm -hmm. And between the years of 2008 and 2012, Mexico was just at a complete and outright war. Uh, so Ciudad Juarez, Chihuahua was known as the murder capital of the world. This meant that it had higher death rates than Afghanistan. So people started like really paying attention. This is where we saw a lot of uh, death. Unfortunately, we had uh, classmates that were killed. I had uh, two of my senior classmates that were murdered the year before, and we had a ceremony for them during my graduation. Like the cartel violence was part of our life. That's how we were raised. That was just normal to us. So uh, again, Sinaloa cartel, the Juarez cartel, and Los Zetas, which are three cartels that are in Mexico, were fighting over Juarez. They need the turf. They need the access to the United States. Because it's almost like Juarez, Juarez, okay, whatever, is like the CMOT, like the tool they need to get access into the United States. Is that right? Like yep. that's like exactly. that, that place now holds value no matter what is in it. There's something that's the tool they need to get access to the rest of the country of uh, the United States where the money is. Perfect. And to keep like going off of that, there are different border cities that they could also be CMOTs. Right. But when comparing them, then we go into the response effort. Right. So to get drugs through Nogales or through Tijuana, there are different barriers that some of the cartel members must overcome. But in Juarez, I don't know why. Again, I'm not a politician, but it's way easier to get product across. So, again, is it like you step across or like there's water, like drive across? So you drive across a bridge that goes over the Rio Grande. And like usually, no joke, the Rio Grande is dry, guys. Like we live in the Chihuahuan Desert. Like it's hot as hell over here. We're not, you know, uh, always on the water like Casey. However, <laughs> uh, we do drive over. The port of entries are either car based, so you drive up, or you can walk across. And the betting process is literally like, hey, where'd you guys go? Cool, come on in, right? You show your passport, and that's it. So when? How old were you when you moved to um, Texas? I was seven, about to turn eight years old. And that was like culture shock for me because yes, we're a border city and I knew English existed, right? But one, I moved cities, schools, like literally a country, all my teachers spoke English. So I came in to a culture, like a bicultural setting, which was helpful. However, I still experienced that culture shock where I couldn't ask to go to the bathroom, right? Like I had to literally learn everything all over again because the language was definitely a barrier. So I have, I have a question, you know, I'm thinking, so let's say you are a kid growing up in, um, in, in, a, in, in Mexico in a neighborhood that has, you know, drug cartel members, right? And so I, I imagine when I went to school, I remember like 
being in awe of like the really rich kids who like had TVs in their bedroom and like that was cool. My parents would never allow, you know, or like, you know, they have like an extra vacation home. Like, you know, like these things are impressive when you're a kid. Is there like what is it? Are these kids who are like kids of cartel members? Would you would, could someone come into access with them and be impressed by this at a young age? Like, could you be in school with one of these kids or? Because I'm saying, like, I imagine that from a young age is like, you know, we look at one of these really success. Like, I'm thinking of a friend I grew up with. I don't know. Someone would be like, oh, my God, I want to do like whatever their family does. They're so successful. Um, is that possible to come into contact or they were kept separate? So, yes, but not really. <laughs> and the way that that works is, again, you have to get into the mentality that some of these children are not able to get education. So there is a chance to have them interact, but it's not in a personal level. So again, in Mexico, where it is a very high poverty, some of these children only get like maybe a middle school education and then they drop out, right? So you would be able to see the children of the cartel members being dropped off at school in fancy escalates and like roll, like, you know, there are clear signs that create the sense of, self-actualization right now these are people that are like on top of their game they have money they have food they have clothes they have the best fashion and where you are like at times struggling to eat you know if you are struggling to like get new shoes that is definitely a big contrast that you see between you as a like a low-income kiddo living just your normal life with the ball and a baseball or whatever but then you see these kids that are from the cartel and they're playing with like freaking iPhones or on iPads. So it's a big difference. Again, you can more witness it than be a part of that integration. Very interesting. Wow. Okay. So this poverty and um, you can already see those, <laughs> that background information definitely what it leads to. I mean, I'm sh sure we're, we're about to go is going to be talking about just based on these background information, it seems like it's an establishing operation for the value of money, right? The value of money um, based on my show watching, you know, that's where I get all my education from. Casey does the research articles. I do the, um, the crime shows, <laughs> the crime shows. Um, you know, I think it's more than money also. There's other like reinforcers involved there, such as security, um, just having a, I mean, there's a sense of belonging, right? You could act with generalized condition reinforcers such as money, right? A huge one. You could have access to a lot of other things. So let's, can you walk us through someone a young age, right? Let's say everyone starts off pretty neutral when they're born. They don't see value. I mean, they probably, they do not know the value of money from the day they're born, right? That's a condition reinforcer. Can you walk us through the process? How someone might go from, hey, I'm a baby out of the womb to I'm now in the drug cartel? Yeah, absolutely. So like you said, when we come right out of the womb, we're just talking about those unconditioned motivating operations, right? Like, we know that food is good for us. We know that we like being warm and comfy and sheltered. But then as we start growing up, we start seeing those condition reinforcers that we learn to appreciate that we learn that we like and are valuable to us. Now, as a young kid in Mexico, you may have food to eat every day, but it may not be something that's fully satisfying, right? So what you start seeing a lot of the times, and this is usually done in the lower, lower income neighborhoods, where you have cartel members start to use some NCR, right? That like non-contingent reinforcement where they like pull up and they're like, hey, here, you want 100 pesos? Right, like that is big money for a kid. So to think of just handing out a little simple bill just changes that kid's life already. It really shows you how cartel members are like excellent behavior analysts, you guys. They know how to pick 
the people that they want to include in their organizations. And then they literally just show them everything that they can access through that generalized condition reinforcer of money, right? They can get cars, they can get girls, they can get power, they get food, protection. They also get a self of being involved in a family. Now you have to think in the mentality of a cartel member where they start providing some sort of not only operant selectionism where we talk about that ontogeny, right? But we go into cultural selectionism. Now I'm going to teach you what we do as a family. So a lot of the kids that are born in poverty don't have stable homes. Some of them don't have parents. A lot of parents have been victims of the violence in which we live in, right? So now somebody comes and says, hey, here's a hundred pesos, go feed your entire family for a week and then come back for more, right? You start seeing that building of a relationship, that pairing with the kid. Then they're introduced into their culture. Now, this is something that has been created and it's called the narco cultura. So literally the narco culture. Right. This is where you are introduced to their music. You are introduced to their type of dressing. Their style is very, very apparent. They like the pointy boots and the big hats and the shiny bling to demonstrate their power, their affluence. And then you get introduced also into their religion. Now, I'm not saying that every cartel member out there is part of this religion, but it is very, very predominantly predominant, I should say, in the Juarez culture, where cartel members uh, pray to or whatever they have to do to La Santa Muerte. So this is the patron saint of the dead. Now, this is very important because this is very specific to cartel mentality. Now, the patron saint of the death is said to provide uh, some sort of blessing or comfort for people who are unprotected and cast aside by religion, by their families, by the government, right? So in your mind, you're a kid, right? And they're talking to you about, hey, this person who I don't know is giving me money. They're giving me food and shelter and all these UMOs, right, that I need to survive. And then they're teaching me that in order to get it, I have to go into their culture or their lifestyle, right? So people that are kids that are in poverty, they are neglected, they are very drawn to being part of La Santa Muerte because they're literally talking about people that are casted aside. You know, I think it's so interesting because like just considering mo's right that background information and how the power of reinforcement or meeting someone's unconditioned you know meeting someone's needs with unconditioned reinforcers like you could generalize it across so many things like when you see when we had you know the ex-pimp on the episode it was like okay this made sense like he had a sense of belonging he grew up these are people who were powerful it was like now i could eat now i could do this right and based on that and you come into contact with that reinforcement once, even like that non-contingent. It just takes one time. Same goes with potty training, right? All you need is that kid to go in there once and get that reward. And now they're hooked, right? It goes into drug use. You've done it once. It goes into people with who are in abusive relationships. Like they lacked that, um, that security, that feeling of having their basic needs met. So people end up with someone who's abusive. I mean, is this is across the board when people are not having, you know, when they're deprived of something, you can make people do amazing shit. Like when you give someone a hundred pesos, took them that one time. And it's like, I could do that again. You've hit that rush. I want to do it again. I mean, the same is for sales, right? I mean, it's just absolutely fascinating. The power of reinforcement, like how far people will go. Because, I mean, it just blows my mind how it's the the, the concepts are are so simple, but it's it's the same across so many different behaviors or so many extreme behaviors that we talk about. Karina, can you talk a little bit about the um, rule governed behavior versus um, contingency shaped behaviors that you have in your outline? 
So going into now the learning history, right? Or the history of reinforcement of a kid. So you are in your family, you're trying to work hard, you're trying to do an honest job and you get very little reinforcement, right? Now you can go with the narcos, you can go and do little random um, like activities for them or you can do certain things that they request of you and you get a lot more reinforcement. So then we start talking about that matching law, right? So my behavior is going to go where I get that most biggest reinforcement. So then what narcos do or, or what they start um, seeing whenever they do go into like, all right, now let's say I did uh, meet a narco, right? And they are now starting to pair with me. They're giving me that unconditioned reinforcement. They're giving me drugs. They're giving me food. Now they have become somebody that I value, right? Somebody that in a sense I look up to because again, they're helping. So what narcos do is now they put you in a situation where you owe them. Right. And then they do a very simple preference assessment and they go, hey, do you want to be part of our culture and our world? And obviously they don't use that. Right. But they're like, do you want to be part of us or do you want me to kill you? Because now you owe me. Now there's a sense of I did all of this bad, beautiful things for you. Now it's time to pay me back. Right. So a lot of these kids, they don't have a way to pay them back. So they, they're like, all right, I'll work for you. Let's see what it's all about. Now, when they are now part of the cartel, they start going through a shaping process. And I'm going to go through like the different like stages almost that they go through. But the first encounter that they have or like the first real lesson that a narco is taught is the fact that rule governed behavior, right? Things that we know we're supposed to follow, like don't speed or don't kill or stuff like that, do not apply to them. That contingency does not actually affect or impact them at all. Why? Because the police is already corrupt. So they are above the law. So they know the rule behavior or the rule governed behavior, right? They're aware of the laws. But now that you're part of the narcos, even if the contingency comes as like, hey, let's say you are caught stabbing a guy somewhere, the mm -hmm. police is going to look the other way. So there's no consequence to your behavior, right? So this gives them a sense of security and a sense of like, oh, shit, I can get away with anything because I am above the law. Now I am the rule maker, and they start working on that like ego, right? Talk about some private events and some like hypothetical constructs, but they definitely get into that mentality of, oh, wow, they're gonna teach me something. Mm -hmm. I am now above the law. I don't have to suffer like I did before where I was living in that constant state of deprivation from everything, right? Now, this is like my time to shine. So this is usually where they would do like a risk benefit analysis. And they're like, all right, I have no opportunities. I work really hard and I got freaking 344 pesos a week or a month. I'm sorry. And over here, I literally go take this guy some new beers or like a pack of beers and I get 200 pesos. Like talking about like, what is the risk of this? Right. Yes, mm -hmm. I might be killed. But then they're tied back to their culture or their religion. The patron saint of the dead or La Santa Muerte protects you from evil. It protects you from death. So now they kind of take away that internal or private events of fear, right? So now they're saying you're above the law. You shouldn't be scared of death. So where's the risk, right? Right. Yeah. They're literally just given like, hey, do you like this benefit or this other benefit that you get for being a part of us? And that's kind of how it is framed for this kid who, again, when you're 11 years old, you're very, very easily, um, you know, pushed. Swayed. You're yes. susceptible. You're, you're susceptible, especially if you come thinking of my own life right now. And I'm like, wow, like, I wonder if when I was like really young, being deprived of all the, you know, unconditioned reinforcers that I was, you know, scared of losing all this. If someone had came to me and was like, hey, do this for me. And I'll give you $600, whatever it may be. Like, I probably would have been like, okay, like that's a better life than I'm living right now. Like not knowing like what the 
consequences were. But again, in the United States, it wouldn't be the same because I would be punished if I did things that were wrong by the police. But when you're living in a country where the police are looking the other way, it's reinforcing your behavior. It's only strengthening it, right? The police are also paid off half the time by these like these cartel members, they actually have more power than the police. So I think that's also part of it. So it's like, like you, you are essentially on the stronger side than being scared of the police. Yep. So that's why when they try to do a risk benefit analysis, they're like, well, shoot, it's all benefits. I'm above the law. I have the money. I have the girls. So why wouldn't I? Right. It's kind of like they would be a fool not to use this easy way out from living in extreme poverty. Now they can make something of themselves and get that power and control that they've maybe wanted or maybe not. I don't know. But now they get to at least try. So you have an amazing little thing here shaping across topographies of their crimes. Can you please go over that and the arbitrary class? of stimuli for drug smuggling. I just love where your brain goes for like behavior principles. Um, I think it's a really cool thing. Not the actual thing, but the way you related it to the behavior principle. Yeah, of course, of course. That was super fun to like write up. So, okay, what I'm gonna try to do is paint you a picture of like the different levels that are within a cartel, right? Or cartel. <laughs> so, Obviously, we know about the kingpings, we know about the capos, that's the Spanish word for drug lord, right? And these are the big guys. These are like the fathers of the entire cartel. There are technically five like major cartels in Mexico. However, the ones that are the most powerful and the longest running is the Sinaloa cartel. They are from Culiacan and they have, again, one big leader, right? That drug lord. Now, freaking cartel members, guys, I swear, use, like, OBM in their own, like, system, okay? I just so, OBM. When you started talking earlier, I, when you were saying they'd be great behavior analysts, I have OBM on my paper, like, in huge letters. I'm like, they're great organizational behavior management. <laughs> they really, really are because, all right, you have the head boss, right, who's your kingpin. Then underneath, you have your tenientes. These are your lieutenants. They're pretty much in charge of approximately 500 to 700 soldiers or smugglers. They are the people that are like literally the managers. They handle their shit. So the kingpin is able to look at like big picture stuff, not day-to-day stuff, right? The Liat's like my guapo and I'm the like manager of the day-to-day stuff. And she sees the big picture. <laughs> you literally called her guapa, which is like pretty instead of capo, which is drug lord. <laughs> so double Perfect. compliment, Liat. Perfect. <laughs> I'll take it. All right. <laughs> so yeah, that's beautiful. So after the tenientes, then we have comandantes. So these are the commanders. So they're literally just smaller supervisors, right? These are the people that are either going to have uh, a small crew that they manage, whether they be sicarios or the hitmen. This is protection and security, right? And then you have the mulas. These are the smugglers. Now, you can either smuggle, which is the most commonly smuggled item, drugs, right? And they can go from, like, smuggling weed and heroin, meth, cocaine, anything and everything that you can imagine. Now, these comandantes are in charge of managing the day-to-day basis. They are more like literally like somebody just stole money from one of the soldiers. Let's kill him. I'm the one that's going to like organize everything. Let's set it up, guys. So he's like the organizing agent. From there, now we go into the protection part, right? We have the sicarios. These are the soldados or soldiers that actually patrol and defend the turf. So as a cartel member or as a narco, you need territory. You need to have multiple entries to the border to be able to smuggle the most amount of cocaine or whatever you're trying to smuggle that day, right? So this is why sicarios are really and truly the most highly reinforced agent in this whole organization. Protection is key, right? 
then we go into, like I said, the smugglers. Now, smugglers are usually young kids. This is somebody who is expendable, who can be replaced real quick, because all you need to do is like pack a little drug here or swallow a balloon or do whatever it is that you need to do. And if you die, hey, I have another 15-year-old that can do it, right? Mm -hmm. So that is the main difference between the smugglers or the people who are in charge of trafficking the drugs and the sicarios. Sicarios are way more valuable. So they actually go through like a training process. And it's really funny. Um, there's like interviews out there and I can like send you the link where they interview sicarios and they're literally saying like, hey, we're taught like in naturalistic settings, do like there's incidental teachings where they're like, all right, you're 15 years old. I'm going to take you to this house inside. There are seven individuals. I have given them a knife. If they get out of this house, then they can live. And if not, too bad. Go. And then this 15 year old is like, okay, they get handed um, sometimes a AK, sometimes a flamethrower, sometimes whatever it is to make them get creative. They're literally put in a situation where you're like, show us what you got and show us why you are valuable to this organization. That's like some crazy behavior skills training, like some <laughs> real right. nuts, nuts shit right there. See, and the worst part is, is that they don't go through the modeling process of right. skills training. They're just For like, feedback, they just kill you. <laughs> yeah. They're <laughs> like, no, nope, not good enough. Bye. That's their main feedback, girl. <laughs> oh, wow. That's some serious feedback. That's a serious yeah. consequence. Um, I mean, it's just so like, I mean, these people, I mean, they are fucked up. Don't get me wrong. But they are brilliant in the way they are manipulating these behaviors. And it's, you know, I know there's also like suicide bombers in other areas, like, you know, in the Middle East or, and, you know, they're told you're actually doing a service. Like if, if you die, you'll be able to, um, you're considered a um what's the word like a patriot or no like a um you're, you're a hero for like you're like you're going to be rewarded in the afterlife if you did it protecting like you go into this door and you're a suicide bomber whatever it is and it's a the same idea as that you're ultimately dying a hero and these ideas are shaped so much into your mind that I mean, there's just so much behavior here into getting these people, like, manipulating of those MOs. You know, even on um, – I'm going to bring back the show, but just because of what I'm watching now, but I've watched a, watched a lot of drug cartel shows. But the Queen of the South, how, like, from the beginning, first day that Teresa is on the job, she buys her a Rolex. It's like, oh, here, non-contingent, just so you know. Here you go. Dude, or, you are you are my guapa because you, you like bought me an iPad, you bought me an Apple Watch, non-contingent. I'm yeah, dying yeah. over here. Literally, I, I know exactly how to maintain your behavior. You, staying yes, here. you sure do, girl. Wow. Check yourself. That's awesome. <laughs> but no, seriously, I mean, it's just so amazing what someone could get someone to do when you understand the motivating operations like this person doesn't have that they don't have a tribe even in this show queen of the south they're like she's like the the head um what's her name valdez whatever no what what is her name on the show whatever the one who leads the one cartel she's like I'm not going to be like your family when you're with, I know your family all left you, but when you're a part of us, you're protected for life. And that's some strong like contingencies right there. Literally. I even think about you, Casey, with like certain things, like the way you grew up, nothing like, like even when you talk about, I know you've talked about like your first relationship, right? Like you went with like the biggest piece of shit ever. And it's like, your MOs in the background like led you to that. Mm -hmm. It was like, oh, someone secure. You're like, don't bring up my shit here. But just <laughs> under, under, I mean, all of us, like different MOs for different things. Like mm -hmm. the power is absolutely insane what someone will do. Exactly. Yeah. 
And when these kids, because again, the cartel will start working and shaping kids' behaviors as early as 11 years old. So when Juarez was like in super high turmoil, there were a lot of reports where children were doing the killing, where you would get like 13-year-old shooter kills a family of six, you know, and they started off as being, they're called alcones, so they're like the lookouts, right? They're the ones that are saying like, hey, we see like some patrols heading down this street and we know that one of our safe houses or one of our hotspots is there, let me hit them up so then they can skedaddle, right? And then they don't get in trouble for those rare police officers that are still trying to help. Skedaddle. Um, I like that word. That's cute. <laughs> um, but yeah, so they start off with the little alcones or like the little baby soldiers, right? Then they go into this training like, all right, I'm going to give you a very, very easy preference assessment. Do you want plata or plomo? So that translates, do you want money or do you want a gun or do you want a bullet, right? So they tell them like, hey, I did all these nice things for you. Now, I expect you to either, one, stay with me, get that money and work for me, or I'm going to kill you. So what do you want? So obviously, they're going to go with the one that offers more reinforcement, which is money, right? They've been deprived. They've been in this constant state of, I need to belong, I need to eat, I need to survive. And then there's somebody here giving them a gun saying, you will never be hungry again. Yep. So, all right. Shaping across topographies of the crimes. Like, I love this, how you like, cause a lot of people get confused with shaping across topographies and within topographies. Right. So like across topographies, the behavior changes. Right. So like you talk about how, like it could first start with like pickpocketing, stealing purses, um, holding up convenience stores. All these are different types of behaviors across, right. Like across topographies that are serving the same function. Do you want to go into that a little? Yeah, absolutely. So you have to think of, again, you're a kid, right? So you're not going to take an 11 year old right to like murdering somebody like execution style. Or like so skinning our, people while alive, which is on this outline that I'm like mortified. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's the worst, but these are like legit articles that. Break. And they like put your head on the ground and shit. They'll like cut heads off and leave it at your front door. Yeah, there was actually um, a neighbor down the street of where my aunt lived who received the package and it was the head of her son and the genitals of her husband. <gasps> oh my God. Yeah. So in order to get to that magnitude of the behavior, right? You start off small. First you start building this little soldier, like little cartel member, and you start increasing their repertoire of crime. So first let's pickpocket someone, that's easy. Then I'm going to maybe steal a purse. Then I'm going to go into holding up convenience stores. Then we go into stealing the cars and kidnapping people. Then once you get into that bigger uh, component of crime where you're now including other human beings, then you have to start shaping again the murder habits. Some of the sicarios are really fan of guns. Some get very, very into torture and becoming very creative with their form of torture, right? Because the people that they are killing, they're rival cartel members or they're people who need to understand the lesson. So what they do is they start providing more reinforcement for the more brutal murders that you commit. So this is how they shape across the topography wow. of crime, where they're going from like, hey, you get, you pickpocketed someone, cool, here's 200 pesos. Now you murdered a whole family with a machete or like a hack. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm going to give you uh, 5,000 pesos, right? Think Differential of- reinforcement, my friends. Yep. And they're pr- probably going into those parametric analysis, right? Like, what's the dosage of reinforcement that I need to give you in order to mutilate this six-year-old? Mm-hmm. Right? So you go into changing the topography of what your crime looks like. And then now, once you're like, all right, now I'm going to start murdering people, then you can start shaping within the topographies which now you are changing a measurable dimension of the behavior that you already know, right? So maybe now I'm going to start kidnapping people at a quicker rate. 
Now mm -hmm. I'm going to increase the duration of my kidnappings. Instead of holding them for, I don't know, three hours, I'm gonna do it for a week and a half, right? So mm -hmm. we're changing the different dimensions within the behavior that has already been taught wow. to me by my beautiful rural cartel members, I don't know. But that's kind of how I approach shaping within the crime because they get very creative, right? So then that's where we talk about like the magnitude of the behavior and the intensity of the torture that they impose in these people. And the adaptation, because I, I do think it starts off like, at first, it's like, oh, my God, I just killed someone. I'm like throwing up from seeing this. I'm sick. I can't even. Then it's crazy that even something like that, you could become normalized to. Right. Like. You start off, you're sick over it. And you're like, I can't believe I did that. And then you do it again. And like you are exposed to this time after time. And it's like. Like that just becomes your new norm, right? It's like, oh, you have a problem with someone, you kill them. What, what else would you do, <laughs> right? Like Exactly. And uh, I, again, I saw some interviews with actual sicarios and they talk about how social pressure was a big component on why they didn't show emotion. Like, hey, I just like ripped this guy's eyeball out, but I'm not going to gag and I'm not going to cry because I have my hitman buddy over here who if I'm seen as weak can take me out because now I have become something that can risk their money yeah. and their security, right? So that social pressure is also punishing their behavior of being human and acting like, hey, I don't want to boil this person alive. I'm not going to skin them alive and then have their body hanging outside of their car window. You know, like you go into really and truly analyzing the values or the morals that these people in cartel have because respect and family is big on them right this isn't something you would usually associate with such a big respect crystal. that attention that you're getting right that would be that attention um uh function of behavior that and you know one other thing that i I, I know we almost got to the end of the, the end of the outline but i remember when we were doing some research for our a much lighter topic, our trending topic on different things that were trends. <laughs> um, we, some of the research that we did, it was saying that why do people follow into trends? And the reason is that it really actually does stem from selectionism, right? Like being a part of something was a survival mentality. Even if it comes to everyone wearing juicy outfits or everyone wearing baby G watches or Tamagotchis, that's one extent, but this is obviously like a whole nother level of it. And we could generalize it here also that it's this part of being a part of something. And the same way when someone goes to prison, right? Like you're like, look, I just want to do my time here and get out. The majority of people end up joining a gang in prison for a survival mechanism, right? Like it's like, look, I want to do my time and get out. But you don't necessarily have that choice when your survival is on the line, right? Like when that's put at risk, you, you're like, oh, I better be a part of something. Yep, there's definitely safety in numbers, right? And that's the mentality that they have. And those are really when I was like looking over the entire whole narco behavior analysis that I did, I really found that there were two functions. Like you said, there was that attention of others and that respect that was given to me. And mm -hmm. it was access, access to money and all these unconditioned motivating operations that I need to survive. And I need to just thrive in an environment where I was born in a third world country. This is where the job is. So I'm going to go to it, right? I'm going to get that reinforcement because I would rather live and get the plata instead of the plomo and then be done with it. Mm -hmm. Hi. Crazy. I love this episode. I've learned a lot because when I came into it, I'm like, I have no idea anything. I don't watch. I mean, I will watch like Law and Order. Like that's, you guys all know that's like my extent of like crime. But um, Karina had such a beautiful like outline formed with a ton of behavior principles. And she's just so knowledgeable in all things. And I just love hearing her accent and her smart brain work. So Karina, thank you for being our guest today. Oh, yeah. I'm super happy. Thank you, girls, so much for having me. Like I said, 
OG fan here. Yes, but yeah. Um, but now we're a fan you. of you. Isn't that funny how life turns around? Now we're <laughs> <your fan. laughs> I love it. I love it. Thank you so much for having me. I hope it was as fun for you as it was for me. <laughs> it was. Oh, yeah, this girl. is so fascinating. I am I I just love first of all anything about drugs in general. I'm just I mean, any even more this is like really where it starts where we're talking about i'm i i follow a lot of the intervention about where it ends uh um casey was saying she's experienced more once it's come to the united states seeing people dealing with not that casey herself um but just environments that she's been around um, and so you know there's a whole process to make this this whole thing work and there's so much that goes into it and so much behavior when you're getting people to engage in such extreme behaviors and and some serious obm i mean all things all around and just thank you so much for coming on karina and discussing it i really appreciate it this was great yeah and i loved it and i think that's it for today guys that is going to be the end of episode 56 thanks for tuning in as always love ya Mean it. Hey guys, it's Liat and Casey. We just want to take a second to let you know that if you're thinking of being a millennial like us and starting your own podcast, there is a way you can do your show without having to become an audio editing and production wizard. Because guess what? We don't know shit with that, but we have Alan at Pretty Easy Podcast who helped us get started. He records our shows, he posts them, he adds awesome, awesome music and cool shit when we don't even know what he's doing. He sends us teaser episodes. He does it all. We just sit here and friggin' talk. We shoot the shit and you can record from home, your office, the park, a bathroom stall at work. It doesn't matter. He provides the complete podcast studio. All you need is a microphone and you're good. Alan caters to your schedule and gives you a producer for your show at your beck and call. He has been super flexible with our schedule. Whenever we need him, we go to Google Calendar. We just book him and he does all the hard work. It's like so incredibly easy. That's why it's probably called Pretty Easy Podcast. So be heard and have some fun podcasting like us. Go to prettyeasypodcast.com today. 